Hey there, podcast listeners. Thanks so much for subscribing to the show. So this week's show is recorded, but a lot of it is brand new. So the intro is new. The emails are new. The voicemails are new. The interviews are new. The only thing that is previously recorded are the calls. So enjoy the show. Thanks so much for listening and subscribing. What's going on? I'm Rich DeMiro, and this is Rich on Tech, the show where I talk about the tech stuff I think you should know about. It's also the place where I answer your questions about technology. I believe that tech should be interesting, useful, and fun. The phone number to the show is 888-RICH-101. That's 888-742-4101. You can also email me. Just go to richontech.tv, hit the link that says contact. We've got some great guests this week. Jacob Palmer of bestreviews.com will join us to share top-rated gift ideas that you can shop for this holiday season. Jen Coltrider of Mozilla Foundation's Privacy Not Included will talk about their new report, which highlights gadget privacy concerns with all the smart stuff that we're buying. And Matt Swider of theshortcut.com will talk about some of the best holiday shopping strategies. I hope you had a restful, enjoyable, and gratitude-filled Thanksgiving. I wanted to talk to you about some of my favorite apps on my phone. I figured since it is uh, a holiday weekend, maybe you're doing some shopping, maybe you're doing some personalization on your phone, maybe you're getting things set up the way you want on your smartphone. Maybe you got a new smartphone already. But I figured I'd go over some of the apps that I keep on my phone that I really like. And I'm pretty particular. I really like apps that are cross-platform, which means they work equally well on both iPhone and Android. The reason for that is pretty simple. I don't want to be locked into any one platform. Uh, Some of these apps are only available on one platform or another, but for the majority of them, they are available on both. Some of them do require a subscription fee. Others are completely free. Let's go through some of the apps that I really enjoy. So, um, And these are in no particular order, but the first app is called Artifact. Artifact, and this is a personalized news app. It's all powered by AI. It was started by some of the same folks behind Instagram. And so the idea is that it's kind of like an Instagram, but for articles. So the more you look at and read different articles, the more it will serve you up similar articles. And that does work across Android and iOS. All right, so I know there's a big uh, question about which photo storage app to use. My favorite has been for many, many years, ever since it was Picasa back in the day, is Google Photos. I love Google Photos because it is cross-platform. It works really well. It ties into my Google storage. I think that the search capabilities are unmatched on this app. So get your photos into Google Photos. My only downside is the more photos you have inside here backed up, the tougher it is to actually get them out uh, using takeout. But uh, I'll figure that out one of these days. ChatGPT installed on my phones. I love this uh, AI chatbot. It is uh, just an impressive, impressive debut of AI. If you don't have the official ChatGPT app on your phone, I highly recommend you download it. I pay for a subscription to ChatGPT, which gives me access to a couple more features. Uh, But they did just make one premium feature free, and that is voice chat. So if you want to chat with an AI bot using your voice, download the ChatGPT app 
and uh, hit the microphone icon and you can do just that. This is a relatively new app. So I'm always looking for a good read it later app. So I was using Pocket for a long time, but I just switched to this app called Omnivore, O-M-N-I-V-O-R-E. It is cross-platform. It works a little bit better on iOS as some apps do. But this is a free open source read it later app. And uh, I really like it because they are privacy focused. You can throw anything you want in there, uh, whether it's a PDF or an article, it formats it in a nice way that you can read it later. Um, and it also has labels. So you can categorize your items into labels. And I just find that, um, I don't know, I discovered it and it's, uh, it's a pretty cool app. So Omnivore for reading it later. Email me. This is a great app, and I wish, wish, wish this was cross-platform. This is only available on the iPhone for some reason. Uh, there is a similar app on Android, but I don't necessarily like it as much, and I haven't found one that I like as much as this one. But email me is just such a great app, and uh, it's just an easy way to email yourself notes, links, anything you want. My email inbox is kind of my to-do list, like an ongoing, like I'm always going to see whatever's in there. And so if I email myself an article or whatever it is, anything, I can just deal with it when I'm sitting down at my computer and I have a chance to look at my inbox and say, oh yeah, I want to read this or I want to act on this or I want to do this or whatever. Telegram is my uh, preferred chat app. Uh, we picked this a long time ago with my family. So we're all on there. We have a nice big group chat and I just love it because it works the same way across iPhone and Android, so no matter what phone my family members are using, uh, we all have the same exact chat. Day one, I wish I used this more. This is a journaling app, um, but it's just really simple. It's uh, it's very clean, it's easy, and if you wanna start journaling in the new year, uh, again, it's cross-platform, and I like that. Apple is adding a journal app to their uh, iOS 17, um, but it's not cross-platform. So anything you do in there will be stuck uh, on iPhone forever. I like day one because it goes with me. Uh, Libby is a great app. If you haven't downloaded Libby, it is such a great resource for free books and audiobooks. I absolutely love Libby. Uh, let's see, Opener. This is a, again, this is an iOS only app. Opener is an app that lets you open up the link in, in the proper app. So for instance, on iOS, everything's sort of sandboxed. And that means that if you go to a YouTube video on an app, it may just open inside a small browser inside that app. With Opener, you can actually open that up in the proper app by just pressing the share button and then uh, it will figure out which app it should open up in and it will do that. It's a really handy app. I think it costs about $2. There's an app called What Three Words I really wish more people knew about. What Three Words divides the world into small three meter by three meter squares. And each one of them has a unique three word address, which means you can tell someone where you are exactly using three words. But I find that it's very handy for directing people to a certain entrance somewhere. So if you're meeting someone at say a big park, you know, GPS is only going to get you to the park with what three words you can show them the exact place you are at that park, whether it's a certain entrance or a certain area, it is really, really handy. Uh, Whisper Memos. I love this app. I have it installed on my Apple Watch. And again, this is a uh, an, an iOS only, but it is so great. It uses AI to record and transcribe audio notes and memos, and it's just really, really incredible at what it does. Again, uh, you get some for free, but then they do charge you just a little bit.
Sunshine Contacts is a great contact app. This helps you manage your contacts by automatically updating their information by looking in their signature in your email. And so if they have a new phone number or something in there, it will attempt to merge all that information. It's not perfect, but it does work, and it's, it's pretty good. I do like that. Running out of time here, but uh, Amazon Photos is great for free unlimited uh, photo re- uh, storage if you are a Prime member. Backdrops is great for wallpaper. Splice is great for video editing. Touch Retouch is great to remove unwanted objects from your photos. It is so easy. Flyfin AI is a great app if you're a freelancer and you have expenses that you want to remember for tax time. Upside is a great app if you want to get cash back on your gas and grocery purchases. Uh, let's see. Real Good is my preferred streaming service guide, so I use that to keep track of all the movies I want to see. Recipe Keeper is incredible. You can forward a URL to a recipe and it parses the data in that recipe and puts it in an easy to follow format and organizes it all. It is really good at what it does. Two more apps. One is called All Trails. It's great for finding hiking, walking, and running trails no matter where you are in the world. And Flighty which will help you get around the world. It is a great flight tracker. It's available on iOS only. It is beautifully designed. I hope they come to Android. You can find links to all of the apps I just mentioned on my website. Just go to richontech.tv. Coming up on the show, we'll talk to Matt Swider of The Shortcut about holiday shopping strategies. But first, it's your turn. Your call's up next. My name is Rich DeMuro, and you are listening to Rich on Tech. Welcome back to Rich on Tech. Rich DeMiro here hanging out with you talking technology at 888-RICH-101, 888-742-4101. Email is also an option. You can go to the website richontech.tv, hit contact. Uh, Let's see. Let's get to a question here. You guys send me so many questions. So um, let's see. Isabel says, my daughter has a brand new Apple Watch she does not want to use. I would like to use it because I think they are very nice looking. However, I have an Android cell phone. I don't care to connect it, nor do I care to switch to an Apple cell phone. My question is, can I still use it? The only thing I actually want to use is the time and the watch. I only want to see the time. Is this possible? Please help. Isabel, yes, it is possible. And uh, there is a setting for the Apple Watch. You do need an iPhone to set up an Apple Watch. But once it's set up, it will work on its own. And I, I don't think you're going to get the full benefit of having an Apple Watch. But if you just want the time like you're saying, then sure, you can absolutely do this. And it will do some other basic things as well. Now, I do think you're going to need to set up a, an iCloud account to do this. So if you don't have that, it's free. You can do that. But the feature is called Family Setup, and you actually need to use your daughter's iPhone to do this. So once you reset the Apple Watch, go into Settings and Factory Reset It, that'll bring it to like a fresh start. Use your phone, your daughter's iPhone to set up the Apple Watch, and it will say, are you setting this up for yourself or a family member? And you are the family member, so say, yes, I'm setting this up for a family member. And it will guide you through the process of setting up that phone for you and not her phone. Uh, 
So all of your stuff will be uh, just on the watch. It will be separate from anything that she has on her account. But like I said, you will need to log in with your own iCloud account just so that Apple can keep track of everything and make sure that you've got your own account on there. So you can set that up for free during the setup time. And if you just want to use the time and the watch, that's fine. But you can use other features. I mean, you could use like, you know, the stopwatch, the calendar. My kids have Apple watches and they use them independent of a phone and they do a whole bunch of stuff. They've even downloaded little games on there. So there are definitely things you can do on the Apple watch, even if you don't have an iPhone. And this is because a lot of people use these for their kids. Um, or even adults that, uh, you know, may have a, a disability or something like that where you want to be able to keep track of them or have this watch on their wrist, but they're not necessarily using an iPhone. So there are many, many reasons why you might want to set this up this way, but it can be done very easily. Uh, good question, Isabel. Thanks so much for uh, writing. Uh, let's see. Rob from Los Angeles says, Hey, Rich, I follow you on social media and your podcast, and I think you're pretty funny and informative. Oh, well, thank you, Rob. Uh, I have a question about two-factor authentication apps. I use 2FA, open source app, and Microsoft Authenticator app on my accounts. What if I want to stop using Microsoft Authenticator and switch to the 2FA app? Will that create conflict since my accounts were accepting codes generated by uh, the app, the Microsoft app before? Or do I have to stick with the same Authenticator app once I attach the account to one app? Please explain. Thanks in advance, Rob in Los Angeles. Rob, great question. Now, it's interesting because I don't, I don't talk about the two-factor authentication apps too much, but I, I think they are very, very important. And if you've heard of me talk about securing your online accounts, there are two ways you do that. Number one, very strong password, unique password for every account. And then the second way is with a two-factor authentication um, uh, enabled on your account. And there are two ways of doing that. And this is why it gets a little bit complicated. And I don't want to... I don't want people to be detracted from doing this, right? Like I want them to do this, so I want to make it as simple as possible. And the simplest way to do two-factor authentication is with a text message code. And so you put in your phone number on something like Instagram and it says, hey, we're going to text you every time you try to log in. If you don't give us that secret code that we text you, we're not going to allow this login to happen. Well, the problem is that the cell phones and phone numbers are a little bit easier hacked than we'd like. And so some people could get a hold of your cell phone number or intercept that code and hack you still, even if you have two-factor on. But it's still a very good way to protect your account in most like 99% of cases. But if you really want to be safe and secure, what you want to do is use one of these two-factor authentication apps. And what these apps do is they generate a unique code every 30 seconds or so. And when you want to log in, you just go to this app and you check out the code and you just type it in. And again, that's the second factor. The first is you logging into the account. The second is this app that is generating a code. Now, the app is nice because it is independent of your phone number. So if you switch phone lines, if you get a different carrier, if you get rid of your phone number altogether, you don't lose those uh, ways to log into your account because you can no longer access those codes. You can get them on this app no matter what service you're using. So that's why I like to use this service whenever possible. Uh, and there are apps called Authy. There are Google Authenticator. There's Microsoft Authenticator. There are several of these authentication apps out there. You just have to pick one that you like. I would personally say pick one that does not have any, any sort of cost because you don't want to be paying for this uh, down the line over time. So the question, Rob, is can you switch apps? And uh, I had to do some research on this one, but I looked up on uh, Wired had an article about this. 
And it's funny because I've been not wanting to switch because it is a time-consuming process, but it can be done. And so as I suspected, you basically have to disable the two-factor authentication temporarily and then re-enable it using the new app. And the way that you do that is once you enable it, typically you just scan a QR code on your screen to enable this two-factor authentication. It links up and then all of your codes are right on that app. So for instance, I use an app and I've got all of my codes on here for Twitter. I've got it for my Facebook. I've got it for my website at work. I've got it for my Instagram. And so of course, the, the number one thing you're thinking is, well, what if someone hacks that app? Yeah, you've got to be careful. And this is why you have to have a you know password on your phone or face ID or a fingerprint scanner. And there um, there is a um, login for that app as well. So again, all of these things do require a little bit of planning, a little bit of uh, kind of just setting things up so that they work. And I know people get very hesitant to set this stuff up because it sounds so complicated and it feels like you're never going to be able to get into your your logins when you need to. But believe me, I will tell you, I get emails every single day, every single day from people that get hacked on Facebook, on Instagram, on their email. And when you do that, there is no guarantee that you're getting that account back. And I have people that are saying, Rich, I have my photos on there. I have my emails. I have all kinds of personal data that I will never be able to get back. And I say, you know what? I'm sorry, but the reality is you have to lock down these accounts. And most people just don't want to. And uh, if you don't, you will be hacked. I'm telling you that. Because it's not not like they're they're targeting you. They are just coming after a lot of people. Rich on Tech is my website, richontech.tv. Go ahead, check me out on Instagram, at richontech. Earlier, we had a question about running an older software operating system on a computer. And I found a good website, endoflife.date. And this has the end-of-life dates for every platform you could ever imagine. The iPhone, the iPad, iOS, iPad OS, Mac OS, Windows. I mean, this is pretty thorough. So someone clearly does their homework with this website, endoflife.date. And so if you look at Apple Mac OS, it says all the different releases. You got Sonoma, Ventura, Monterey, Big Sur, and Catalina. And it tells you the service status, if it's still being serviced, and when it got its latest software update. So if you look at this, Mac OS 11, 12, 13, and 14 are still all getting software updates. And Big Sur was uh, so released two years and 11 months ago. Service status, yes. Latest update was September 11th, then September 21st for the uh, Monterey, Ventura, Sonoma. So anyway... Great website to see if the software you want to run is still being uh, supported with active security updates. 888-RICH-101-888-742-4101. Give me a call if you have a question about technology. My name is Rich Demiro, and you are listening to Rich on Tech. Welcome back to Rich on Tech. Rich Demiro here hanging out with you talking technology at 888-RICH-101. This is it. This is the holiday shopping season. We are in full swing, in the thick of it. And joining me now is Matt Swider of theshortcut.com, a newsletter which aims to simplify your life. Matt, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. This is great to be back. All right. So tell me why you started theshortcut.com. You said to simplify folks' lives. Do you think there's an overabundance of information out there? 
Yeah, especially when you're reading content and the the keyword, the answer that you're looking for is buried in the fifth paragraph. Uh, it's not just you. That's really uh, a tactic that people use to keep you on the page. Um, I want to give you the quickest answer. And when I was helping people find a PS5 in stock, I just was shooting out links so that they would get the, the item they wanted. And um, that's happening all over again with a bunch of other items that people want, including the uh, PlayStation Portal. So trying to get the people the answer as quickly as possible. So how are the deals shaping up this holiday shopping season? Uh, they're pretty good. Uh, a lot of people really want cheap TVs and they want that PlayStation Portal. Um, they also want a lot of uh, the Apple Watch is really popular. And of course, Every year, it's the AirPods. AirPods are the number one gift because it's a it's an easy stocking stuffer. It counts as the big gift for a lot of people if you get that uh, AirPods Pro 2. Um, and that's down to $169. So that's a really good price if you find it out there for that because uh, those the stock on that is very limited. So we're kind of in the thick of it every day. We're tra- tracking these prices. We know kind of like how much these things sell for. But if you just see a price online, you don't always know if that's the best price um, if it's kind of, you know, you see these wild discounts, you know, 30% off, 40% off, but was anyone actually paying that full price? So how do we know when something's an actual deal and not just marked up to be discounted? Uh, that's a great question because yeah, a lot of retailers, especially the Samsungs of the world, um, will launch at a huge price for those early adopters and then just drop it off, um, by half over the course of a year. Um, you'll see those launch prices and they'll be the list price will be crossed out. And that's great. But um, usually using tools like uh, Camel, 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 which I still use, tried and true, um, that will give you some insight, at least, if the price has dropped recently or if it's you know been lower before. Um, I use that a lot, but a lot of price tracking tools on Twitter, um, that's what I use. I use uh, a Discord um, and I have like things pinging me. So I, I take that information from a Discord where it's automatically tracking the prices and putting it out on Twitter and sending people notifications. What do you think are some of the best ways to research a product to see if it's worthwhile? Yeah, uh, a lot of reviews out there will tell you if the um, the price is going to be discounted nowadays because uh, their method is uh, sending you affiliate links, and that actually acts as a a really good way to get an updated review. Um, so a lot of the reviews and buying guides out there still hold a lot of weight for a lot of consumers because they Google something, they find that information, and now they're being updated a lot more than they were in past years because they want to fulfill that e-commerce revenue. Well, that really helps out a lot of people because uh, they'll they'll always tell you the lowest price. Okay, so this is something that I always get. People email me a link to something and say, Rich, this is a really good price. How do you know if something is too good to be true? Is it just based on the retailer? I don't want to like discount you know, any company I haven't heard of and not shop there ever again, but at the same time, I don't want to get ripped off. Yeah, a simple Google search. Um, if you haven't heard of the name brand, uh, usually that's a bad sign. Um, yeah, you, you want to shop at the, you know, for the lowest price, but um, there are some websites that are not well put together, don't have anything in the footer, um, and look pretty scammy. Uh, yeah, if it's too good to be true, it usually is. And I would avoid that as much as possible. Go with places that you know until you're familiar with it. And until a friend says, I bought this at X shop, you've never heard of it before, but at least there's some sort of testimonial there. I always check for the return policy and the contact information as well, because if you can't find those two things when you're before you make a purchase, you're definitely not going to find them after you make a purchase. Absolutely. 
What about the difference between shopping online and shopping in store? I know that you love to take your pictures outside the Best Buy and all these places where you find these products. Do you have better luck one way or the other? Uh, I have better luck online. And what I tell people is shop online, reserve it for in-store pickup. Uh, that way you're guaranteed to get that price. If it happens to be cheaper in the store for some reason, uh, usually they're pretty good at keeping uh, parity with uh, you know in-store prices and, and online prices. But if it happens to be cheaper in the store, then you can just cancel that order when you get there and pick it up for the store price. Um, so you know, you're getting the best of both worlds by, by shopping that way. What about price matching? Like, do retailers even price match this time of the year or are they over that? They do. Uh, there are some retailers that do, um, but a lot of times the item has to be in stock. So if you go to Best Buy, for example, and something is at Amazon, but it's not quite in stock, but it was in stock, well, they won't price match that. So that's a little bit of a caveat. But if you're if you do your due, due diligence and you you screenshot something, maybe you'll talk to a, uh, you know someone at the the retail shop and they'll they'll give you that best price. So always take screenshots. That's uh, one of the big tips out there. Now, one of the ways that you amassed such a large following was helping people find hard to find products. Uh, is it the case anymore? Are people are these products sold out? You mentioned that the PlayStation Portal is tough to find. Tell me about some of the products this year that we may have trouble getting our hands on, or are all of those inventory issues a thing of the past? For the most part, the inventory issues are a thing of the past. There's some key items, some you know Disney merchandise that people want that's really hard to get. Uh, PlayStation Portal is uh the impossible thing to find right now and besides that it's finding things that are usually readily available at the best possible price so if you're going to spend you know two hundred dollars on the airpods you're overpaying but that 169 dollar deal for the airpods pro 2 well that's what's hard to get these days so that's where i still come into uh play for a lot of people I noticed this trend of retailers reserving their best prices for their members. Now, Amazon's been doing that forever, but now we're seeing Walmart Plus, we're seeing Best Buy, which you just mentioned, they have some sort of program, mm -hmm. and Target, obviously Target Circle, but that's free to join. So tell me about this trend. Yeah, I think the margins are becoming slim at all these retailers. They, you know, they made very little, if nothing, on the PlayStation 5, for example. So they said, all right, we have these hot products, but we're not making any money off of it. Um, so what they were doing was locking the hot products behind and their best deals behind a paywall, which, you know, for example, Walmart Plus, they saw what Amazon was doing. They said, OK, let's encourage people to get our two day free shipping, pay 50 to $100 a year. They used to be $100 a year, but they dropped down to 50 for the time being. And they were, you know, locking really key deals and they're, they're continuing to do that um, at least for three hours during the, the Black Friday push. So they're saying, okay, we're not making a lot of money off of electronics. Um, at least we're making $50 uh, ahead off of uh, each household. So that is a, a tactic that consumers don't love, but they, in the end, do love the benefits because $50 a year for something that is equivalent to Amazon Prime uh, is a pretty good deal if Walmart is your number one retailer. All right, so do you have any recommendations for us? Do you have anything that we should be on the lookout for? A lot of people want this PlayStation Portal. My one piece of advice, if you can't find it, um, there is something called the Backbone One controller, and that's $100 less, so, um, it's actually on sale for $30 on less on top of that. So you can get it for about $69, $70 out there, depending on uh, which retail, retailer you go with. But it turns your 
uh, cell phone into almost like a, a PlayStation portal. So, you know, if you can't get that number one gift, there are always alternatives out there. And that's my, you know, big suggestion for people is, you know, there's, there's something to, you know, put under the tree or to, to, you know, a gift to give somebody because, um, there are a lot of options out there when it comes to technology that, you know, even if you can't find that perfect gift, there's, there's something out there to, you know, fulfill that wish list. And what are you playing with this season? What's your, what's your top pick for yourself? Uh, I'm really looking forward to diving into Spider-Man 2. That's the new PlayStation 5 video game that um, is really, really popular. Uh, it is, it's free if you buy a PlayStation Slim, so you're saving $70 there. And uh, I got a new TCL Roku TV, so I'm looking forward to, you know, using that um, along with my PlayStation 5. Two very popular items. Matt Swider of theshortcut.com, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks as always, Rich. I'll put a link to Matt's website on mine. Just go to richontech.tv to sign up to be a member of theshortcut.com or get his free newsletter. More Rich on Tech coming your way right after this. Welcome back to Rich on Tech. 888-RICH-101-888-742-4101. Let's go to line one. Feruza in Los Angeles. Did I say that right? Yes, you did. Great. Thank you so much for taking my call. <laughs> Absolutely. What can I help you with today? Um, I have an iPhone 6, and uh, this holiday uh, season, I'm going to upgrade to an iPhone 13 or 14. And I'm particularly interested in the double eSIM feature because I do travel internationally a fair bit, and I just wanted to understand is it the same on both the 13 and 14 and how does it work yeah it is the same feature they've been uh i think they've had this on the iphone since the iphone 10. they did it secretly for many years just to test it out make sure it worked and then they decided to say no more sim cards with the uh the last year's phone so now there's no there's no physical sim card slot inside the iPhone anymore. But the way that eSIM works, especially for travel, is that you would have your regular SIM, which is still an eSIM, but you can have multiple eSIMs on your phone. You can have a bunch of them. I had, I think, like two or three on my phone at one time, and you can activate them, you can deactivate them, you can keep one on there for a long time and just activate it when you go to a different country. But the way you install it is you just, you know, let's say you have one of your main carriers here, that's, you know, Verizon, T-Mobile, uh, any, you know, Mint Mobile, whatever it is, you've got your main SIM, and then you can add a secondary SIM. And that secondary SIM could be an international SIM. It could be even a secondary cellular line here in America. So let's say you wanted one SIM for your phone calls and one for your data, or even two for your data. You can set that up. So it's really unlimited what you can do. But the way it works overseas in particular, what I do is I typically turn off my main SIM and then flip on the international SIM. And then that way I can still use my data through the international SIM and not pay the roaming charges. And there's a lot of different ways to do this, but that's kind of generally how it works. If you're traveling internationally to a different country, you can pick up a local eSIM there, or you can use one of these companies that lets you activate an eSIM right from your phone. So the one I always talk about is Aerolo. Uh, US Mobile all, all also has one, but there are many, many different companies um, that do this. And so if you just look up eSIM for the country you wanna go to, you can do that and set it up very easily here in the States before you leave. But I think that it's a, it's a very 
simple system. The only place where it gets a little complicated is if you want to continue. Most of these eSIMs are data only, but that's also changing. So the eSIM that you get for overseas might just handle data and not calls. But that makes sense because you don't want to give someone a different phone number just when you're overseas. They they just want to call your regular phone number. So in that case, I recommend that you turn on your, uh, ro- your not your roaming, but your Wi-Fi calling. Uh, Joni on Twitter, at Rich on Tech, or X, I should say, says, is there any way to take low-resolution photos on the new iPhone? Those 3.8-megapixel photos eat up storage and I don't always need the high res. Thanks, Rich on Tech. Uh, well, the photos aren't 3.8 megapixels. I think the storage space is 3.8. And yes, on the new iPhone, the default megapixels is 24 now, which is amazing because you're getting so much more data on your photos, which means you can zoom in, you can crop, you just have a lot more flexibility with the amount of data these photos carry because they are 24 megapixels by default. If you don't want them to be 24 megapixels, if you want to go back to 12, you can. You go to settings, you go to camera, and you go to formats. And then inside there, it says photo capture, photo mode, 24 megapixels. You tap there and you can tap 12 and you can take your 12 megapixel photos just like before. A According to Apple, a 12 megapixel photo will be about two megabytes. A 24 megapixel photo will be about three megabytes. But like you said, Joni, it's probably closer to about 3.8. Let me see on my phone here what my latest picture is. So if I just pick one of these photos here, and uh, let's see, this photo is, oh, 5.8, megapi- uh, 5.8 megabytes. Wow, so Apple, Apple's really being conservative in their estimates. But again, with today's storage on the phones, I would say take the bigger photos, but if you don't need, need that, just go ahead and you can change that in the settings. Let's go to Tatiana in Banning, California, line one. Tatiana, you're on with Rich. Hi. Well, I was calling about uh, about YouTube. You know, I wonder if you know if you could help me. Mm. I have a Prime uh, membership with YouTube, and it worked fine until last week. And the last few days, I keep um, uh, receiving all those, you know, uh, notification that I have ad blockers. Uh, I have either to unblock or to switch to Prime membership. And I already have Prime membership. And I keep telling them, sort of, and they said, report the issue if it's not correct. And I keep reporting that, hello, I am a pro- I have Prime membership, and you keep blocking me. Because sometimes they block and block. And yesterday, I, I was not able to watch YouTube at all. I know that I, you know, but... Point is that uh, why should I, you know, I I have my prime membership, and the, uh, the worst thing is to reach anybody on YouTube by phone is not possible. They offer you chat, and the chat, you know, I tell him, okay, I have prime membership. Why you are uh, you want me to switch to prime if I already have one and you are blocking me? And he says you have to remove ad blockers. But okay. I didn't yes. set so, them up. You know, that's what you understand. Okay. So how yeah. legitimate it is. So a couple things happening here. So uh, number one, uh, you're referring to YouTube Prime membership. So Amazon offers a Prime membership. So if you have an Amazon Prime membership, that does not give you access to YouTube um, 
you know, without ads. So that's number one. So it is a separate membership. So if you are talking about YouTube, what it's called is YouTube Premium. When it first was introduced a couple years ago, it was called YouTube Red. They have changed the name to YouTube Premium. And the way that you can check if you have YouTube Premium, if you are paying, I believe I pay $22.99 a month. I don't know how much, I think it's $15.99 a month for the standard. I've got the family plan. But uh, let's see, the standard plan, individuals, uh, yeah, $13.99 a month, family is $22.99 a month. So you can check to see if you are on a YouTube premium plan, which gives you YouTube and YouTube music ad-free, offline, and in the background, you can go to youtube.com slash premium. And when I go to that page, it says, you have YouTube premium, manage. So that's the first thing, Tatiana. If you don't see that, when you go to that website, you don't have YouTube premium. Now, the second way to check is to go to YouTube.com. And in the left-hand corner, in the upper left-hand corner, your YouTube icon changes from YouTube to a little icon of the YouTube screen, and it says premium. So that's number one. We just need to make sure that you're actually referring to what you have. If you have Amazon Prime, that does not give you access to YouTube premium. Now, the second part of what you're talking about, the ad blocker. YouTube has been cracking down on people using ad blockers to get rid of ads on YouTube. Why? Because YouTube and Google make a whole lot of money on serving up ads during YouTube videos. And in the past, people were able to get around some of those ads by putting an ad blocker on their on their computer. Well, YouTube does not like that. So they are cracking down, not on everyone, not on every instance, not on every time, but they are cracking down on some of the use of ad blockers on YouTube. So if you do have an ad blocker on your system and you're trying to access YouTube, you will have to pause that ad blocker. And you can do that by tapping your ad blocker and usually you can, um, you can what's called allow list the website. So you can say, do not use this ad blocker on the youtube.com website because it will not function properly. And in general, if you're using an ad blocker on your computer, you can uh, disable that for, for a website. If a website you visit is not working or it feels a little wonky, then it's probably your ad blocker that is interfering. Thanks for the call today, Tatiana. You are listening to Rich on Tech. Give me a call. It's 888-RICH-101. Welcome back to Rich on Tech. Rich DeMuro here, hanging out with you, talking technology. This is the show where I talk about the tech stuff that I think you should know about. It's also the place where I answer your questions, and that's exactly what I'm going to do right now. You can go to the website, richontech.tv, hit the link that says contact, and send me your question. And that's exactly what Sierra did. Sierra says, hey, Rich, love your tech shows. I listen to you every week for important tech updates. My question is, what browser do you prefer? Chrome, Safari, Firefox, etc., and why? Thanks for all that you do. Well, I will tell you that Chrome is my preferred web browser, and that is because of several reasons. Number one, I like how it integrates with Google products. I like the extensions that you can get for it. And it was very slow for a while. I think that Google was very aware of that, especially on the Mac side of things. It consumed a lot of resources. It still kind of does, but I think it has gotten better, uh, maybe through a combination of some software updates and a better computer that I have. But I like Chrome because it's what I'm used to and it's what works for me. I also like, like I said, the extensions that are available for it. 
I personally would recommend that you block your third-party cookies if you are using Chrome. That way, your browsing history is not passed along to different websites, or at least it's a little more private, as far as I can tell. Now, when it comes to Mozilla Firefox, I think there's more privacy out of the gate. Like, I think the settings are made in a way that protects user privacy just a little bit more than Chrome. However, um, not as popular as Chrome. I mean, Chrome is really the number one browser with a very large market share. And then when it comes to Safari, I think that uh, the market share is really tiny there. On iPhone, it's huge because that is the default browser. But on the MacBook computers and especially the Windows computers, people use either Chrome or a Microsoft product. So Safari is really fast. It's just not my preferred web browser. Now, the other one that I really do like is called Microsoft Edge, and it is very similar to Chrome in many ways. The only thing I don't like about it is how they force a lot of Microsoft products on me, but it's funny because Chrome pretty much does the same thing, but since I use more Google products, it doesn't bother me as much. So the browser that you want to use, I think, really comes down to personal preference, and any of them are good. I think that the main thing to know is just be aware of the privacy settings and uh, tweak those so that you are protecting your privacy as you browse the web. Thanks for the question, Sierra. Up next is Ed. Ed says, great show as usual. My question is, on my Gmail app on iPad, when I swipe left, it goes to archive. I want to swipe left to delete. Please help me with that. Also, how do I access my archive to get rid of those archived files? Well, first off, Ed, uh, you can easily switch this. In fact, this is one of the first things I do anytime I set up a new phone. Uh, by default, Gmail has certain swipes that uh, I don't like. So I like to swipe right to delete in my Gmail, and I like to swipe left to archive because it just seems right to me. If I swipe right, I'm trashing something. If I'm swiping left, I'm archiving it, and that means I'm saving it for later. So to do this, uh, you open up your Gmail app on your iPad or on your phone. You tap the menu, which are the three lines in the upper left-hand corner. Then you scroll to Settings. And that's all the way down. And then you go to Inbox Customizations. Now, this is a little bit different on Android versus iOS, but it's very similar, and you can do both the same things. Tap Inbox Customizations, and you will see Mail Swipe Actions. And it says Swipe Right, uh, Swipe Left, and you can decide what those do. Now, for your second question, how do I see all those archived files? Go back into that original menu that I mentioned, and you will see an item or a label, I should say, that says all mail. All mail is all of your mail. So when you archive something in Gmail, you're actually just marking it with a label that does not keep it in the main inbox. Because the way that Gmail works, just think of it as one ongoing list of all of your messages. Some of them are visible, some are not. Great question there. Uh, let's go to the next question. Ron says, hey, Rich, I'm wondering how my wife has been spying on my text messages. I have found some of them printed out on paper. I've also seen she's printed out messages from someone else's phone also. How is she able to do this from her phone? Thanks for your help. Well, Ron, uh, barring any conspiracy theory or magical powers that your wife has, I think that you are logged in using the same iCloud account. And a lot of times families do this on their phones where they have one login to make things easy, but then the text messages and the settings carry over to all the different devices. So I'm assuming that your wife somehow has access to your text messages based on the same iCloud account. 
and the other person's phone, I'm guessing that's another family member. So if you don't want this to happen, then I would create your own unique iCloud account. You can still be on a family account and still share a lot of the resources on your iCloud, but if you want your own private iCloud account, you do need to log in and create your own account. Next up, Dana says, when I go to Disneyland, my iPhone 14 Pro dies after sending photos, etc. What is the strongest charger, phone bank, or what else would work best? Thank you and happy holidays. Great question, Dana. I always bring a portable battery with me when I go to a place like Disneyland. And here's the reason why it's dying so quickly. It's because you're using your phone more and a combination of... Um, the cellular signal and the videos you're taking, all of these things are adding up to just really tax the battery on your phone. So you're taking more pictures, you're taking more videos, and if your phone is set to back up those pictures and videos, that is using a lot of charge from your battery. Couple of recommendations. There are three types of chargers you can get. One is a MagSafe, one is a plug, and one is a um, sort of a portable battery pack that has a built-in connector. So for the recommendations here, I like the Anchor Nano Power Bank with a built-in connector. That's a small battery, though. It's only 5,000 milliamp hours. That's basically going to give you about one charge. But the nice thing is it's small, and it plugs right into the bottom of your phone. Second one is an Anchor Power Bank, 20,000 milliamp portable charger. And uh, this you can use with USB-C. Make sure you find one that has USB-C in and out. That's going to give you the fastest charge both ways. And you will need to bring your own cable with this style portable charger. And then finally, you have a Belkin wireless power bank with MagSafe. Uh, this is going to magnetically attach to the back of your phone and charge it that way. I don't know what the milliamp hours is on this, but it's pretty low, but you can get them in different levels. You know, depending on how thick it is, it's going to give you a bigger charge. The downside to the MagSafe is that it's going to be the slowest charge out of um, all of these different methods. But definitely get one of these. Um, get them while they're on sale for over the uh, Black Friday, Cyber Monday uh, shopping season and uh, just always keep it charged up and with you. Sharon writes in, can you recommend a photo stick flash drive? Thank you. Lots of questions about pictures. People love to take them. Uh, so I get this question over and over and over. And uh, while I don't necessarily love a flash drive for backing up my photos, it is an alternative to just backing up to the cloud. Personally, I think you should have your photos in the cloud and in a secondary place as well, in addition to your phone. So what does that mean? You can use something like iCloud and also Amazon Photos. If you're a Prime member, you can get unlimited backup there. But you also want to have your photos uh, in two places at once in addition to your phone. So one of these flash drives can work as well. I don't think it'd be best to have them only on a flash drive. But the brand I like, SanDisk iExpand. So uh, the iExpand has various models. Some are Lightning, some are USB-C. Depending on the phone you have, you plug it into the bottom of your phone. It brings up the app and you can do a complete backup of your photos and videos. So make sure you get the one that's right for your phone. PNY also makes a model that is similar. I think that the software that SanDisk has is just slightly better. It works uh, a little bit better for me in my testing. All right, coming up next, we've got more of your calls at 888-RICH-101. That's 888-742-4101. My name is Rich DeMiro and you are listening to Rich on Tech. Welcome back to Rich on Tech. Rich DeMiro here talking technology with you at 
RICH101. That's 888-742-4101. Free call from anywhere inside the U.S. Marvin in Denver, Colorado. Marvin, you're on with Rich. Hi, Rich. How you doing? I'm doing fantastic. How are you? Good. Say, I'm trying to uh, get some information on a guest you had on some time ago who uh, had developed a computer program for baseball cards and other sports memorabilia. This has been about a year ago, but I didn't catch his phone number. I, I think his name might have been Ted Mann, but I'm not positive of that. Yeah, good so memory. To find out how to get in touch with that guest. Absolutely. Okay. So the, uh, good question and, uh, thanks for calling. But, uh, so I looked on the website. Uh, if you go to richontech.tv, that's where you can typically find anything that I mentioned on the show. And so I will tell you, I typed in baseball to find, obviously, you know, baseball card scanning and nothing came up. So you are absolutely right, Marvin. I, you had one part of the equation, but here's what happened. Uh, so the notes are on there. And the app, by the way, is called Collects, C-O-L-L-X. This was uh, invented by a New Jersey dad and his son. You're right. His name is Ted Mann. We did a segment with him uh, both on TV and on the radio here. It's a really cool app that helps you scan your cards and figure out what the value of them is in seconds. So the app uses um, you know, instant image recognition to recognize the card and provides its current market value. You can build and track your entire collection. One of my friends kept texting me after I talked about this app. I think he was up to like a couple thousand bucks worth of cards on the app. And of course, you can use the app to connect with other collectors, buy, sell, and trade cards. And there's a whole bunch of stuff. This thing has just taken on a life of its own. I think they added some new AI features as well. But again, the app is called Collects, C-O-L-L-X dot app. And Ted Mann is on there. Um, he's the uh, founder, like you said, and you can uh, email him through the website as well. Uh, but the reason why you couldn't find it on my website is because baseball was not in the description. I wrote it down as uh, it says Ted Mann, creator of the Collects app, which lets you scan your sports card collection. So I should have said, um, should have said, I mean, including baseball cards because I figured. And by the way, that show was on February 11th, 2023. That was uh, the sixth episode of the radio show. So good memory. Thanks for calling. Appreciate that. And um, good luck scanning your cards. Let's go to Melody in Carlsbad. Melody, you're on with Rich. Hi, Rich. Listen, about uh, probably nine months ago, I received a notice from the the post office that I had a registered letter. I went there, and the registered letter was from Geek Squad telling me that I needed to renew my account. Well, I thought that was really odd that they anybody would be sending me a registered letter. Uh, I thought it was a scam. I checked it out, and of course it was a scam. So I did nothing with it. Then um, about a month ago, I got an email from the Geek Squad saying I needed, alerting me that my account was going to expire and I needed to renew it. Well, I ignored that because I knew the Geek Squad that it was a scam. I don't have an account with Geek Squad. I've never done any business with Geek Squad. So then I ignored the email. A few days ago, I get an email from 
an unknown person advising me that my account has been re- restored or renewed and uh, for a charge of, I think it was like 200 bucks, 199 Uh Well, I... I didn't do anything. I, you know, I I haven't taken any action on that. But I'm wondering, what do I do? Yeah. I. The only thing I can think of is to keep monitoring my credit card account. But I can't, you know, unless they have. I don't know if they have any of my credit card information. Okay. This is. Uh, I'm glad you brought this up, Melody, because this is happening a lot, a lot. A lot. And it is, I'm seeing two of the major scams out there. One involves the Geek Squad, the other involves Norton antivirus. And so it happens exactly like you're saying. You get an email that says, here's an invoice for your Geek Squad service renewal, and it's some un godly amount, you know, $398 for the year, $298, whatever it is. And it says, this will be charged. Uh, you know, in the next week, unless you call this number. And so you call this number. I'm actually looking at one right now. Okay. It says, uh, Geek Squad, protect your tech. It's time for renewal. Order ID, product, Geek Squad, five year personal home membership, customer information. It has all your data on there, including your name and your email address. And it says, we're ready to help whenever you need us. Call us at this phone number. And so what's happening is they want you to see this email and say, wait a second, I didn't subscribe to Geek Squad. And you call that number and that's when the actual scam takes place because you think that you're confirming your credit card number or getting this charge reversed and they're actually collecting that information from you. This has nothing to do with the Geek Squad. They're just using the Geek Squad's good name to get your information and to try to charge you. So... um Melody, I know this is happening to you and you're getting these letters in the mail and these emails and, you know, could even be a phone call. But the best thing you can do is, like you said, monitor your credit card for any real charges that may come about, which there's probably not going to be any. And just keep deleting these emails. Don't, don't unsubscribe to them. Don't call the phone number that's inside these emails. This is something that I'm seeing on a daily basis. I'm getting these emails. And so it's coming, like I said, the Geek Squad and Norton are two of the biggest because those are two of the biggest brand names out there. So that's what's happening. Melody, you could safely ignore them. I'm glad you brought it up so that people uh, can avoid this. Thanks so much for the call today. 888-RICH-101-888-742-4101. Mark is in Winnetka, California. Mark, you're on with Rich. Well, good afternoon, sir. Hello. Um, I generally speaking, I'm, I'm always researching and looking at different things, and I may go to a website I don't have time to look at at that point of time. Sure. So I'll drag down one of the URLs to the desktop. I have so many things on my desktop here. But I pulled down a couple of articles or stories from Twitter uh, months ago, and I pulled it down to the desktop so I could go back to it later, and now I can't get rid of them. They won't delete. They won't even move off of the position that they're in. Uh, I might be able to move around a little bit, but it uh, it will not delete. It will not allow me to um, watch it and then uh, get rid of it. And uh, it's bad enough with YouTube not letting me on. Uh, talking about malware bytes, uh, they won't even allow malware bytes. So I'm kind of at a. Um, what kind uh, of computer is this? 
Uh, laptop, it's, um, you know, Windows. Okay, so Windows. So on a Windows computer, um, the, the best way to delete these things, obviously you can drag them to the trash can if it's a, you know, if it's a, sh- a quick shortcut to a URL or any icon that's on your desktop. Uh, the main ways to delete these things are to drag them to the trash. So you can just pick one up and drag it to the trash. And of course, I assume you've tried to do that because you're saying that this is not working. So the second way to try to get rid of these URLs on your desktop is to select one and then press shift and the delete key at the same time. So shift and delete to get rid of this. And it says, I'm trying this right now. It says, are you sure you want to permanently delete this item? I press yes. And my computer is saying access denied. And so this may be what you're coming up against. You may need to log in as an administrator uh, to do this because sometimes it does try to protect you from certain operations on your computer that could have negative effects. Welcome back to Rich on Tech. Rich DeMiro here, hanging out with you, talking technology. Welcoming back to the show, Jen Kaltreider with the Mozilla Foundation, lead researcher at Privacy Not Included. Jen, thanks so much for joining me again. Yeah, thanks for having me back. So you've got a new report out, A Nightmare Before Christmas. Mozilla researchers find many popular tech gifts perform worse on privacy than ever before. Explain to me what the Privacy Not Included guide is all about. Yeah, we review the privacy and security out of all those fun connected gadgets that you're shopping for at the holidays. We've been doing that since 2017. Um, And we try and help people with our fun reviews at privacynotincluded.org know which smartwatch is better at protecting your privacy than another, or which smart speaker, or which fitness equipment, or or that the like, or the like. So just, you know, we try and make, help you smart shop smart for connected devices. What are some specific examples of popular tech gifts that have uh, not done so well on your buyer's guide this year? Oh, gosh. Amazon products, they just keep disappointing us. Um, you know, the Amazon has a, a bunch of products. They're smart speakers, they're tablets for kids, they're um, Kindles, uh, things like that. And, you know, Amazon just, their track record just keeps getting worse and worse at um, protecting privacy. They collect a ton of data. They use that data to make money and they just keep getting in trouble with the FTC and the like for not respecting our privacy with all that data they collect. So they're they're pretty bad. <laughs> uh, we saw Xbox this year um, gets our privacy not included ding. They got fined big by the FTC this year um, because they violated the children's privacy laws. And that's that's not good. And then we see, you know, the standards, the usuals that 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 aren't great. Um, you've got some kids' toys on there that raise eyebrows. Smartwatches for kids are something that we especially looked at and have some concerns with. Um, yeah, so lots of products that raise eyebrows, but there are a few good ones. Okay, before we get to the good ones, I'm just curious because I'm hearing a lot more about connected children's toys and the personal data that they collect. What is the implication of this? Like, you know, if these things have microphones on them and speakers and internet connections and cameras. What does that all mean for kids and parents? It means that parents need to really pay attention when they buy their kids a connected um, toy or a connected smartwatch or or any connected device. Um, It's no fun to read privacy policies. I can say that because I do it for a living and I don't wish it on anybody because they're confusing 
there's a million of them out there. It's really hard to understand, okay, what data is being collected on me as a parent through the app that I have to download to control the device versus what data is being collected on my kid? You know, did I consent to have that data being used for personalization or advertising? Um, you know, how do I delete it if I, if I want to? And so those are all big concerns that it makes it difficult for parents to really kind of understand and know what's best. And then there are some really creepy products that we came across this year. Uh, I mentioned smartwatches for kids. We came across two different smartwatches for kids. Um, one just flat out didn't have a privacy policy for the device or the app that, co that collects your GPS location as cameras, microphones, sensors. Um, and the other one had uh, barely a privacy policy. It was super vague, buried in the terms and conditions. And, you know, a privacy policy is what a company uses to say how they're going to collect your data, how they're going to use it, what controls you have over it. And the fact that we're finding devices that are so invasive, they're basically surveillance devices um, that don't have privacy policies at all, shows that these companies are sketchy at best and, and potentially really dangerous at worst. How does a parent know if something is going to have a bad wrap do they just look at your website we we try and help um, that's that's a good place to start um it is hard to know i mean i think asking yourself as a parent you know what level of data collection am i okay with on my child you know the moxie robot that we review doesn't actually earn our privacy not included warning label but we were very close we were very on the fence about giving it that because their privacy policy sounds okay but at the same time, they're sharing so incredibly much data. There's video, there's cameras. Um, it's marketed as, as a toy for your kids to help them learn emotional intelligence and build relationships. Um, but buried in the privacy policy, they say, oh, teach your kids never to share personal information. And those things seem contradictory. And so that's the kind of stuff that we see that we would like parents to be wary of. You know, there's some good products out there, you know, the Tamagotchi Uni or um, the Doggy um, that, that are still kind of fun interactive toys. There's some uh, coding kits that are fun interactive toys that just don't collect a lot of personal information. And that's the way I would go if I were a parent. And you had some previously uh, top or positively rated companies like Sonos and Bose and Eufy, but this year they didn't do so well. So what changed? Yeah, it's interesting to see companies just getting more and more into the game of collecting data and then trying to make money off of it. You know, Bose is an interesting one. You know, Bose makes headphones. That's what they do. They make headphones and speakers. And, you know, reading through Bose's privacy policy this year, we, we found a line in there that says that they can collect data on your head movements based on your, your headphones. <laughs> You're like, why does Bose need to collect that data? But then they go on and say that they could possibly sell that data linked to potentially your email. And again, it's like, why do my headphones need to do that? Um, they didn't do that a few years ago, and now they're doing that. And that's just kind of the slow creep of more technology, more sensors, more data being collected from all our connected stuff, even our headphones. Um, and then it's how can we make money off that? How can we, you know, sell that or share that for advertising or more? And so that's what worries us. We're seeing more and more of that from companies that used to actually be pretty good. The other thing that we're seeing that's, that's worrisome is some of the good guys, Fitbit and iRobot. Um, iRobot's been one of the best companies we've reviewed for privacy for a long time. They were on our best of list. Um, they're in the process of being bought by Amazon. And so you have a, 
a company that's good at privacy being bought by a company that's not good at privacy and your data is a business asset that will transfer and so that's a concern fitbit got bought up by google a couple of years ago and you're seeing that marriage get closer and closer where you know now you'll need a google account to sign up for a new fitbit um and you know that means your data is going to go st start going to google and and google likes data so what steps are you taking to ensure that consumers are protected, raise awareness about all of this? Well, I'm, I'm talking to you, Rich. <laughs> I'm relying on people like you to try and help get the word out because people know you, they trust you. And, you know, I just sit here and do the research and I rely on people like you. And I'm grateful for people like you to help get the word out because it is hard. You know, I, I, like I said, I don't expect parents to read privacy policies. They're incomprehensible. Um, but I do like to see people ask questions and say, oh, I've heard bad things. Maybe I'll just take a peek at this privacy policy. Um, they aren't completely horrible. You can determine what um, data is being collected. You can do a search for the word sell and see if your data is going to be sold, um, things like that. But really, I just think sitting down and having a, a risk assessment for assessment, I have connected products. You know, I have an Amazon Kindle. You know, I'll bash Amazon for being bad at privacy, which they are. But do I really care if Amazon knows what books I read? I can live with that. This really all comes down to money. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. We're exchanging our data um, for a product and they are exchanging the data that we give them for uh, some sort of sale. Whether, you know, even with Amazon, your books, they want to recommend you other books that you might purchase from them. Um, in the case of some of these things, it's a little more nuanced, like the head tracking stuff. Why? But it's probably to develop better products that they can then make money off of. So does it really all just come down to money? I think a lot of it comes down to money. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, what does it come down to money though, right? Uh, I, but I also think, you know, we're not, the, the question of consent is what I think a lot about as a privacy researcher. And a lot of companies will say, we'll never do this um, without your data. We'll never share it. We'll never, sell it. we'll never do anything with it without your consent. But then you ask, well, when did I consent to this? And that gets very nerdy. And so, yes, it all comes down to money. And what people should really be asking is, um, do I consent to this? When did I consent to this? And how do I revoke my consent to this? Can I get my data deleted? Um, because they're going to keep doing it. That's not going to change. And, and unfortunately, the, the, the onus is on us to protect ourselves. And it shouldn't be. Um, we need stronger federal privacy laws. We don't have federal privacy laws here in the, in the country. I mean, we have child one and a, and a healthcare one, but we don't have a consumer. And we need that. And people should start demanding. Ten Call Trider, thanks so much for joining me. What's the website to go to? It's privacynotincluded.org. All right. Take that list and check it twice. Thanks so much for joining me today. More Rich on Tech coming your way right after this. What's going on? Welcome back to Rich on Tech. Rich DeMuro here hanging out with you talking technology. Hope you're having a fantastic day. Phone lines are open at 888-RICH-101-888-742-4101. is the phone number. It's a fun new game, Super Mario Brothers Wonder. So let me tell you about this Nintendo game. This is the first 2D side-scrolling Mario Brothers game in over 10 years. This launch for the Nintendo Switch. Mentioned it on the show last weekend, but I hadn't had a chance to play it just yet. And boy, when I got a chance to play it, it was fun. My nine-year-old and I were fighting over who got to play it next because it was just, it's one of those games that you just pick up and there's almost no learning curve, right? You just know how to play it instinctively. So if you played the original Mario Brothers or if you're looking for a gift this holiday season or 
no matter what you're celebrating, people are going to be getting this as a gift. The kids are going to start playing it, and the parents or the adults are going to, wait a second, I want to play that. Because it just looks fun and it looks easy. I don't know if you've tried to play one of these video games these days, but you know there's like 15 different controller settings, 15 different buttons on that thing, and it's not for the faint of heart. Like You need to know how to play video games for most of today's games. This one you do not. It's got fun power-ups like uh, elephant fruit, which turns Mario into an elephant with like a horn. Or what do they call it? Not a horn. Uh, elephant nose, like a long elephant nose. A trunk. Thank you, Bobo. Uh, then they've got these wonder flowers that trigger effects. Now, I don't know what these uh, designers over in Japan were uh, were enjoying while they made this game, but those wonder flowers are a little, you know, I guess all video games are kind of weird like that, right? There's up to four players locally and 12 players online, so that's kind of fun. The game is $60, and this is, gosh, it's been 30 years since the launch of the original Super Mario Brothers game on NES. Want to date yourself? There you go. 30 years. So again, Super Mario Brothers, wonder if you're looking for a gift this holiday season, I'm telling you, this is the one to get. Kids will love it, adults will love it, and I think you're going to have fun playing this game. So I am, that's for sure. Mike wrote in on the website, I have a set of Bose Q45 Quiet Comfort noise-canceling headphones. I'm having connectivity issues with my Samsung S10 smartphone. I'm trying to connect with Bluetooth. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it does not. On my phone, all my Echo Dots show up in the list. Even my TV, but not my headphones. Last night it played somehow, even though it never came up in the list. Out of curiosity, I closed all the apps, and it was still playing. Help me, please, in bold letters. Uh, Mike, I think you need to do what's called a network settings reset on this Samsung Galaxy S10 smartphone. It's, uh, it's an older phone, so you've probably connected things over the years to it, and something just doesn't seem to be playing right. So, what I'd recommend is doing what's called a network settings reset. So, you want to go into your Samsung phone, you want to go into your settings... You swipe down from the top. There's a little gear icon in the upper right-hand corner. You tap that, and then you'll be into your settings. Now you scroll all the way down until it says General Management. And then you scroll all the way down again until it says Reset. Now I know it's scary because it says Reset, so you probably didn't want to click that. But you can tap Reset, and then you get a bunch of Reset options. Or you can do Reset Network Settings. And that will reset the Wi-Fi, the mobile data, and the Bluetooth. That's the one I think you should tap. And so once you tap that, it will clear out all the Bluetooth devices, all the Wi-Fi devices, all the connected devices on that phone. Then I would go in and I would repair the Bose headphones. And I think your connectivity issues will hopefully be solved. Mary Jean in uh, Fallbrook, California. You're on with Rich. Oh, thank you so much for taking my call. Um, I have an old Apple VI. Uh, it wasn't holding, um, I loved it. <laughs> it wasn't holding a charge anymore, so I went to your sponsor, and I bought a new phone, and while the gentleman was transferring the information from one phone to the other, he says, what's your security code number? I don't know what he was talking about. I don't, I went through some papers. I don't see anything in regard to that. I wondered, what do I do now? Both phones are inoperable, and uh, I don't know what security code. I, it's not a – well, I'm confused. I just don't know what to do. Okay, so explain to me. You have an iPhone 6. That's your phone. Are they both in your possession? 
Yes. Okay. And you have an a new iPhone. What did you get? A new iPhone? Yeah, I just got a 50. I got a new iPhone, yes. A 15? I think they called it a 50. Okay. Uh well, the newest is a 15 is a 15. So is it an iPhone? Yes. Okay, great. All right. So I think what you're referring to a security code on your phone. So iPhone is very easy to, to you're trying to transfer all your data from the old phone to the new one. Well, that's when he froze. He okay. and so that wasn't completed and I I'm out two phones okay. now. Okay. Do you have both phones in your possession? Yes. Okay, great. So what you want to do, the security code that is that I believe is being referred to is your PIN code. So you know how the you... PIN code? Yes, the code that you use to unlock your old phone. When you go through the setup process on the iPhone to transfer your data, for security reasons, it asks you what the PIN code is on your old phone. And so you type that in, and that enables the phone to decode your encrypted information off the old device. And so that's what I believe is happening here. That is the code. So whatever you type in, and don't don't say it on air, but whatever you type in on your old phone, that's what you do. Uh, that's the code that you put in on the new phone. So typically, throughout the little process of transferring all the data, it will say, please enter the security code or the PIN code from your your previous device and so that's the code that you type in and that will help the new phone gather the old data so that's what i believe you could do so uh mary jean thanks so much for calling today i hope that that uh, helps you figure it out uh let's go to john in moorpark california john you're on with rich uh i have a question i have a friend of mine he only has one thing he has an iphone but i was going to ask your advice on password managers Ah, good question. Password manager. I was just talking about this yesterday with a friend. So if he just has an iPhone, I think the easiest, simplest password manager is built right into the iPhone. It's called iCloud Keychain. And if he's using the iPhone, iCloud Keychain will generate strong passwords. If you're using an iPhone, you've probably seen this pop up on your phone where it says it literally puts like an email or a password in the box, like it's like this long character and you just have to tap to accept it. But iCloud Keychain, if he's already using iPhone, I think is going to be the simplest way to do it. Now, when you're using more devices than just the iPhone, I think it gets a little bit more complicated. Then I would recommend something like Bitwarden, B-I-T-W-A-R-D-E-N, Bitwarden. And what Bitwarden does is it will generate a password, but you have to set it all up. You need to create an account. You need to set it up and make sure that the iPhone knows that that's what you want to use to fill in the accounts. That's a good way to go. If you're a big Google user, uh, a Google Chrome on the iPhone and Google Chrome on the desktop, I would check out Google Password Manager. So they have one built in. You can go to passwords.google.com. And Google just recently upgraded this password manager so that it works even better on the iPhone. It used to be kind of not so easy, but now it actually will fill in passwords across all devices on the iPhone. And by the way, to check out how you're using the uh, password manager on your iPhone, you go to settings and let's see, you go to passwords and it's going to authorize you. And then you can see all the passwords that your iPhone has selected and kept inside there. I've got a list of a couple of them. But then if you go into password options, now you can specify how you want to uh, save and also fill passwords on the iPhone. But that's what you want to do is set up. I personally always appreciate third party 
products for everything. But John, in your friend's case, since he's just or they're just using an iPhone, I think the iCloud keychain is probably going to be the easiest. But keep in mind, it is linked to your iCloud account. So if you forget your iCloud password or if you can't get into your iCloud account, you're going to have a lot of problems with all your other passwords because you're not going to be able to get into those either. RichOnTech.tv is the website. If you want to contact the show, send your email there. 888-RICH-101, 888-742-410. And we still got lots more of the show, lots more questions, lots more things to talk about. You're listening to Rich on Tech. Welcome back to Rich on Tech. Rich Demiro here hanging out with you, talking technology. Some of you have discovered on the website at richontech.tv that there is a microphone icon. You click the icon and you can leave a voicemail for the show. So I figured in this segment, we would check the voicemail and let's start with David. Hey, um, yeah, I was trying to find something on the new 5G home Wi-Fi. I'm trying to compare T-Mobile, Verizon, and now AT&T is coming out with one. And I couldn't find anything on your site. And I know you do all this kind of stuff. Take care. Keep up the good work. Great question. These uh, new home internet services are provided through cellular versus a wired connection through something like your cable company or your phone company. So T-Mobile has theirs. It's called T-Mobile 5G home internet. Verizon has Verizon 5G home internet. And AT&T is the newest to offer it. They have AT&T Internet Air, which I think is the coolest name out of all of them. So again, if you have a strong cellular signal to your home, this might be a good alternative to a wired internet connection that you might get from, like I said, your cable company or your traditional phone company. Now, in some cases, your phone company may be Verizon, it may be AT&T, it may be T-Mobile. So the main thing you need to do is check to see if these are available where you live. Have a friend come over with that signal on their smartphone. Use an app like Meteor or Speed Test to test the signal up and down, see if it's strong, and then you can order this home internet. Maybe keep your old internet just in case there's a problem. Most of these systems are self-installed. They send you a box, you plug it in near your window, it pulls in that cellular connection, and then it spits it out as Wi-Fi and then your devices would connect to that. So I think the connection through your wired internet is going to be faster, but I think the price is gonna be better for this home internet situation. So you're gonna get unlimited data from most of these companies. T-Mobile right now is charging anywhere from 30 to $50, Verizon 60 to $80, AT&T $55. Those prices do not include discounts for customers. Also keep in mind, if you're eligible for the Affordable Connectivity Program, these home internet services are eligible. That's a $30 a month discount if you have something like Snap or you're on Medicaid. But like anything else, I predict the prices of these services will go up as more people get them. Right now, this is a very new thing. They've only been around for a couple of years. Now, I did have the chance to test out Verizon's 5G home internet, and it was great. I tested out in various locations. The main thing is that if you have a good signal, you're going to have a good internet connection. Now, if you're doing a lot on your internet at home, like if you're constantly exchanging large files, like if you're a video editor or something like that, I probably wouldn't recommend this, but if you're just doing typical day-to-day stuff like streaming Netflix and you know doing your email, the stuff you typically do on your smartphone, if it works well on your smartphone, it's probably going to work well on the 5G home internet. Next up, let's go to Kay. I'm trying to figure out about Google Assistant interpreter mode. I've seen some demonstrations where you speak and then you can hand the phone to the other person and they will speak and you will hear both sides. 
but in my Google Assistant interpreter, I only get my side translated. Do you have anything like this you can help me with? What you're referring to is interpreter mode, and this is basically real-time translation on your phone. This is the stuff that we saw in sci-fi movies, but it is available if you have Google Assistant on Android or iOS. And this allows people to have back-and-forth conversations with each person speaking their own respective language, and Google will kind of be the in-between and translate whatever you're saying. So if you want to activate interpreter mode, there's a couple ways you can do this. You can say, hey, G, be my German translator, or hey, G, help me speak Spanish. Replace the G with Google, of course, and then that translated conversation will be displayed on the phone screen and also the device will speak it. Google supports 44 languages for this. Now, if you want to do another version of this, if you download the Google Translate app, Typically, when you use the app, you can just hit the big microphone icon and you can say something in your language and it will translate it into another language. But there's another icon in the lower left hand corner that says conversation. And now if you put that on, it will listen to what you're saying and put your side of the conversation in your language and then in real time translate that to the other side. And if you tap auto, this will make it so it's listening for both languages. So when you speak in your language, it will translate it to the other, other language. And when they speak in their language, it will translate it to your language. By the way, Apple has a Translate app as well. So if you don't want to download a new app on the iPhone, you can just search for the Translate app and it has similar features. All right, next up, let's go to Jim. Hey, Rich, this is Jim from Prescott Valley. For years, I've uploaded pictures to Costco to make Christmas cards, and this year they discontinued that service. I was wondering if you had any suggestions on another place to upload and create cards. Thanks, and great job with the podcast and the radio show. Ah, yes, it is that time of year again when we need to order our holiday cards. So I think this is largely a question of how much you want to spend the convenience and how much time you want to put into them. But I'll tell you the company that I've used for the past couple of years, uh, simply to impress.com. I believe they were a wire cutter pick at some point and we started trying them and we just kind of liked them. Uh, the other one that we used before that was minted, which I really like. And I always look at the back of the cards when we get them over the holidays to see where people order their cards. And, uh, minted is very popular. Shutterfly, obviously very popular. Uh, the other place people get them is through the local drugstore. So a Walgreens, a CVS, a Target. I think it comes down to how much you want to spend, um, how fast you want to get them. But I will give you my tips. Number one, I always order these on Cyber Monday because I do believe that they have the best price of the year on Cyber Monday, no matter where you get them. So get those pictures ready because you only have a day or two to get those ready for Cyber Monday. Also, I never pay for the faster shipping at the end of your order. When you're all said and done, they're like, oh, and by the way, do you want to wait like six weeks to get these or do you want them in two days? Of course, the temptation is to upgrade and pay a little bit more for that peace of mind that you're going to get them in time to send them out for the holidays. But I've never done that. And they always arrive faster than I think. Of course, because I'm telling you this, this is the year that that won't happen. But it's always worked out for me. Uh, I guess the only thing you have to figure out is if you want to include a little personal note with every picture. Next up in the voicemails, Josie. What is a good free computer cleaner? 
You have to be careful when you're cleaning up your computer, but yes, you want your computer to run nice and fast, and sometimes these things do get bogged down. My number one piece of advice is to do some maintenance. So go into your settings, add and remove programs, and get rid of any programs that you no longer use or recognize. Uninstall those, then restart your computer, see if that helps. Do the same thing on your web browser. Get rid of any extensions you don't use. Now, when it comes to programs that are free, a lot of people like a program named BleachBit, B-L-E-A-C-H-B-I-T, and that will clean your system and free up disk space. Another very popular program is C-Cleaner, C-Cleaner. And that uh, will speed up your PC. It won't do everything for free. It will basically just help speed up your computer. You can pay for more features after that. And if you're on the Mac side of things, the only thing that I use is called Clean My Mac. And uh, I don't believe it's completely free, but I do think they have a free level of certain features that you can use. Let's get to our last voicemail right now from Melissa. Hi, Rich. I just want to say you're so helpful and informative. And even for a Gen Xer slash millennial who thinks she knows some tech stuff, I, you know, consider myself pretty tech savvy, but you help a lot. And also that segment on um, the ring and trying to get my parents to get a ring um, was very helpful. So you rock. Thank you. Well, thank you, Melissa, for listening. Thank you for learning, and I do appreciate the kind words. We'll have more of your calls and questions coming up right after this. Rich on Tech is where you can find me on social media. My name is Rich DeMiro, and you are doing something smart. You are listening to Rich on Tech. Welcome back to Rich on Tech. This is the show where I talk about the tech stuff I think you should know about. It's also the place where I answer your questions my name is Rich Demuro. You can find me on social media at Rich on Tech. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, X, sometimes threads, mostly on Instagram stories. That's really where I put a lot of my effort. But I realized, it's funny, I, I realized with Instagram stories, you can't share my stories. So I share a lot of like useful information. And it's great if you're a follower of mine, but if you're a follower, you can't share that out to other people. And so I've started to actually share stuff that I wouldn't typically share in the feed, like in the regular feed. I always thought that was just for like pictures and videos, but now I'm doing like tech stuff because you can actually share that information. So if you see something useful that I share, you can send it off to your friends on your stories. Whereas if I share that on my stories, you can't do that. So it's a small little change, but if you do follow me on Instagram, that is the reasoning behind uh, why I'm starting to share more of my stuff on the main feed, because it just makes it easier. Uh, you can also listen to this show as a podcast. Be sure to subscribe. Just go to uh, richontech.tv, click the podcast icon. There's also show notes and links to everything I mentioned. You can also just search Rich on Tech in your favorite uh, audio app. Of course, you can listen right here as well. Let's go to uh, Linda. Linda is in Anaheim. Linda, you're on with Rich. Hi, Rich. Uh, I have a problem with uh, FaceTime group calls that uh, it's happened to me twice to my family. And I'm sorry, I'm old. I don't even know how to do a FaceTime group call. And, uh, of course, they all think that I did it. I was three feet away from my phone, and I received a phone call, I thought, and it was almost all of my family, and they said I made the phone call. Oh, wow. And, of course, they thought that it was an emergency. Oh, okay, no. So one time is one. Now it happened again the other time. I was on the phone speaking to someone, and 
all of a sudden, I go, oh, let me call you back. I have a call from my grandson. And, again, it was a whole group of the family and a couple friends. Okay. Well, I think I think I know what's happening. I think... Um, oh. Well, there is... Okay, so is, this is happening when you're on the phone? It happened one time when I was not on the phone, and it happened one time when I was on the phone. Okay. So there is a, a group FaceTime feature that is on the iPhone, relatively new as of a couple of years, where you can have up to, I think, 32 people in the call. And so a couple of the ways you can start this is obviously from the FaceTime app, and that would take some time to open up the app and st- set up the call. But one of the other ways you can do this is through the Messages app. And so, no, 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 I don't want to do that. No, I know, but I'm saying this is how oh. it's happening to you. And I think oh. this is, this is my theory on what's happening. So I feel like when you're on your phone, this is just a theory, by the way. I don't know if this is the exact way, but I feel like when you're on your phone, um, there is a FaceTime video button in the upper right hand corner. And that FaceTime video button uh, could be pressed by your ear when your phone is up to your face. And I think that's what's happening. And so when you have a bunch of people on that group text, your ear is hitting that button and it's starting, it's initiating that call. So that's one theory. Another way you can start these calls is when you're in a, a text, if you tap the people up at the top, um, there's like a little uh, kind of like an info area where it says you can call them, you can video chat them, you can mail them. So that could be another way that that is getting activated. And that's up at the top. So those are the two ways that I think it's being initiated. If you don't want to use FaceTime and you don't want this to happen, uh, you know, you can also set the auto lock on your phone to be um, to be less of a time. So it will lock quicker. You can also turn off FaceTime completely if you want. And you can turn off FaceTime by going into uh, settings and then FaceTime and you can turn it off. Now, of course, that's going to make it so that you can't use FaceTime until you turn it back on. 888-RICH-101, 888-742-4101. Blue Green sent me a DM on Instagram at Rich on Tech, and uh, it was a scammer impersonating Sandra Bullock. And he said, uh, why is this person trying so hard to meet me? What, what, what happens if I chat with them? Curious if they try chatting with you and what happens if you talk to them. And good question. Number one, I don't uh, think you should engage with these people, these scam artists that, you know, they're impersonating someone else on Instagram, Facebook, whatever. But the bottom line is they are going to try to scam you. So I did this the other day. Um, a guy I know, he was, uh, you know, they set up a bogus account that looked just like his, grabbed his pictures, and then he started chatting with me. And so, of course, I'm just curious. So I chatted with him. I said, hey, how you doing? What's going on? I missed you at the last Apple event, you know, blah, 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 knowing he wasn't even there. And uh, the person's like, oh, yeah, how's work? And, you know, we talked a little ni- little niceties back and forth. And I kept trying to drop little things that I know only this person would know, the real person, that this scam artist wouldn't, but he kept ignoring those parts of the questioning. Anyway, finally, what did he get to? Hey, um, I've been really getting into crypto and, uh, you know, I think that it would be great for you to do this. And what do they want you to do? They want you to download some app. They want you to transfer some money. They want to scam you. Be careful. Be aware. And it looks like someone you know. They're not asking for help. They're not, you know, just be aware. Uh, let's go to Vanessa. Vanessa in Great Falls. You're on with Rich. I should say Great Falls, Montana. I, uh, years and years ago, my first computer I ever bought was a Gateway. And oh, I nice. Saw, I love Gateways. 
The cows. And, yeah, that started my oldest son on his pet career. And um, now I see that they've someone is making gateways again. And I recently bought uh, two-in-one tablets, laptops, for my grandchildren that are three and five. Okay. So they can get started. Sure. Um, what is the best way to set that up so they only have access to the educational programs that we're putting on there for them? So this is a uh, this is a Microsoft tablet or is it a computer? Yeah. Microsoft. It's it's a the, it's a two in one. It, you can fold the keyboard all the way back. It's almost like the Surface Go. And okay. You can fold the keyboard back and and use it as a tablet or use the keyboard as a computer. Okay, so I, I, I've I got this set up for my kids, and I believe... So on iOS, you've got what's called Screen Time. On Android, you've got what's called Family Link. And with Microsoft, I believe it is called Family Safety. And so you can set these up as, um, you know, you can set them up as a parent or a grandparent to just allow them to do the things that you want these kids to do on there. So... In most cases, and it's been a bit since I set these up for my kids, but I believe that you put in kind of like the age of your child that's accessing it, and it will kind of, you know, it'll set some defaults, like here's the stuff we'll allow, here's the stuff we won't allow, but then you can also go further, and you could say, let's say they like a certain website like PBS Kids or something, you can allow that specifically on the list of websites. But it also gives you a rundown of what they search online if you choose to allow that, or you can, of course, block searches. You can limit the time that they spend on these different apps and things, and of course, just make it so they can't install anything new. But that's really what it starts with is this Microsoft Family Safety is getting that installed, setting it up. You may have to create an account for the child, but once you get that on there, you know, you're in control. Now, for the most part, because sometimes it can be a little tricky, it can be a little frustrating because once you set this up, there may be something the child wants to do on there where they can't easily do it because it has all of these restrictions in place. But no matter what, if you are setting up, I know there's a lot of parents that sort of give up on this stuff because it can be a little complicated to get set up. And so they say, you know what, never mind, I'll just hand them the, the tablet or the phone or the laptop. But please do not do that because there is just too much that they can happen upon if you don't have these things locked down. And I'm not saying they're even looking for stuff, but it's a matter of things can be presented to them or they may search for something and it may just bring up uh, something that you don't want them to see or they shouldn't be seeing at their age. You are doing something smart today. You're listening to Rich on Tech. Welcome back to Rich on Tech. Rich DeMiro here, hanging out with you, talking technology. And joining me now is Jacob Palmer of bestreviews.com. Jacob, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. All right, so explain what Best Reviews is all about before we start talking about some of these items you identified as uh, being great for holiday gifts. Yeah, so we spend all year trying to connect people with the best products that are out there on the market, and we do that to figure out what is the best. We do that by testing side-by-side in real-world environments so we can tell people, you know, this is the best if that money can buy. This is the best if you're trying to save some money and you want to find the right value. And so we're always trying to connect people with the best products at the best prices. So this time of year is a huge time for us because all that testing we did around the clock all year long is now really coming to a head because this is when people want to get those absolute best products. Full disclosure, bestreviews.com is owned by the same company that I work for on TV called Nexstar. With that said, let's get to some of these recommendations. 
Let's start with Dyson products. These are a premium product. Why do you recommend these this holiday season? So the thing with Dyson is that it's that high-end brand name that people love and really want. They kind of cherish it. And this year, we're expecting to see huge discounts on them. So if you're looking for either one of their top-of-the-line vacuums, or also they have great air purifiers, um, they also have a line of hair care products, whether it's uh, blow dryers and things like that, they're all going to be marked down. And I think that's going to be on a lot of people's List. So this is definitely a time to look out for that. Now, these have been around for a while. Theragun, they sort of invented this genre of uh, massage gun, I guess you call it. What What do you like about these? Yeah, personal uh, percussion massage guns, essentially, is what it is. And what we love about it is that it's just a great gift because it's something that people don't think to buy for themselves. So we're always getting feedback. We're always trying to hear from different users, different testers, uh, and the, what they gave in terms of gifts, and then what was the feedback and what was the reaction to it. And this always comes in as one of the absolute most popular gifts. It's a little bit more expensive, but for the last several years, we've seen them do significant discounts. You know, I'm talking about a hundred or more dollars off on the full price. And so this is a great time of year to be able to get this and make somebody truly happy for when they're opening up their presents. This is a fun gift and something I got my kids, I believe last year, uh, Fujifilm Instax Mini 12. It's kind of like a Polaroid, but for today's generation. And what we've seen from today's generation is they're bringing back a lot of the cooler things of the 90s. Uh, and this is, you know, recapturing that magic from when people would originally buy a Polaroid and then the, the camera itself would spit out the image almost instantly. This allows the kids to be able to control their own space, create their own art, hang it up in their walls. And it's not that expensive. It's a better piece of technology than what we were messing with in the 90s, uh, but it's also you know really, really popular right now because for some reason what's, what's old is new again. So this is a great one to consider for that nephew, the uh, you know the grandkids in your life. One thing that hasn't changed though, the film is still an expensive part of this. Yeah, it is, and it's definitely something to consider when you're buying it. GoPro Hero 11. This is the latest GoPro. What do you like about this device? This is a great product for that person in your life who's doing cool things. The mountain climber, the person who loves to go surfing, loves to hit the the slopes and go skiing or snowboarding. And so this most recent one is great because they've added stabilization features to it. It shoots in really clear picture. Uh, It's also incredibly durable. You know, we were testing it, taking it down the mountain. We were testing it, going surfing and doing all these things. But then you see the footage and you're like, I instantly get why people want these and why we always say that these are really cool for people doing cool things. Now, this is not necessarily technology, but it was made popular through social media and TikTok. The Joomra cloud slippers. Why do you like these so much? So these are great, but they're just the most comfortable house slipper you'll ever have. And it's, you know, they're rubber and they don't look like much, but when you put your foot in it and you walk around the house, it really does feel like you're walking on a cloud, which is why they're called that. And, you know, for only at full price, they're about $40. I expect over the holiday shopping peak, when things are really marked down, they'll probably be available for 15 or 20 bucks. And it's another one of these things when we get our user feedback, we've never had somebody say bad things about them and they only say i've replaced all of my other house slippers and these are the ones i'm walking around on the kindle is always a popular gift during the holiday season for people that like to read uh the kindle scribe i think is the newest model it's got the biggest screen you can write on it what do you like about this so this is perfect for the college students the person who's actively learning because it allows you for the first time to annotate and really do it easily you know it's not clicking in and then typing and it's not complicated 
complicated. You're literally just writing on the screen. And so it's great for that person who, who's learning and reading a lot and needs to be able to write in the margins. So we love the Kindle for this person as well because it also helps them kind of consolidate and not to have to have too many books going at once. And I will add, when the Kindle Scribe first came out, uh, the reviews were mixed, but it was mostly because of the software. And Amazon has continually evolved the software on this device to make it better. For the golf lover in your life, you've got a couple of Garmin products to recommend. Tell me about the R10 and the uh, Rangefinder. Yeah, so these are products for that person who's really growing their love of the game and embracing it in big ways. The R10 is for somebody who wants to fill out their at-home practice setup. They, maybe they've already got a net. They want to get some data on what their shots are doing. It's an awesome beginner's model. You know, it's it's way more affordable than what you're going to see in all the competitors. So a lot of people don't want to spend thousands and thousands of dollars. This is a way to get that kind of technology for 500 test it out, see if you like it. And then they also have a really interesting product, which is their uh, rangefinder that you mentioned, that is interesting because it uses augmented reality. So when you're looking through the rangefinder, you're not just seeing what's in front of you, but you can also see the the map of the hole, and you can see, you know, the bunker it automatically is telling you you're this close to that bunker and that water trap. So it adds a lot of different features that I think is pretty innovative in terms of what we're seeing from golf products, especially in the rangefinder space. Now, you brought a fun little toy called the Bitsy, and I had not seen this, but I'm always on the lookout for kind of a fun, unique, techie toy, and this fits all the bills. Yeah, it's really interesting, and it's what we're expecting to be the it holiday toy this year, so the one that everybody's going to be talking about whether you understand it or not, and it's just a fun little device that has a kind of mini little projector on it, and it puts interesting photos in front of you, interesting little kind of illustrations for the kid to love, and, all, you know, again, we use testers in real life environments so we were giving this to a four-year-old and he just spent hours just playing with it even if it is super simple and the thing that parents love about it is, is that it's not a screen so you're not dealing with some of the same effects of you know uh putting an ipad you know giving them an ipad giving them a different kind of tablet so it's it's, it's popular for both the kids and the parents is what we found so far What's the price point on the Bitsy? B-I-T-Z-E-E. It's fairly affordable. You know, it's not going to be overly expensive. So it's one of these things that during the holiday period, we're expecting to see it for less than $50. Nest Hub Max from Google is a product that's been around for a while, but it does so many different things. What I love about it is that it displays my personal photo collection. What do you like about it? So it does it does that, right? And that's always a really popular uh, gift is the smart photo frame. But it also, it has a solid speaker on it. It also, it, you can use it for... A normal just kind of at-home voice assistant so you keep it in the kitchen and you're able to use it as timers you're able to have it show you you know how do i dice an onion and then it'll show you in real time uh, and then it also has a camera on it so it can host video chatting which is great for folks that want to be able to set something up in the home of maybe a less tech savvy person in their life and still be able to share those moments still be able to connect so we love it for all those reasons but the number one reason why we love it and why it's in all of our holiday gift guides is it can be easily paired and command a smart thermostat so you can save money on your heating bill, which, you know, as those prices continue to rise, it's a great way to kind of control what you can control and limit a cost where you can. So we love it for that as well. And always a favor, I probably get more questions about this product than anything else at this point, the Apple Watch. What we're seeing is that they're just truly, truly popular. What we found in our testing, we have been testing the brand new model, uh, the 9, and we like it, but we do think right now for this holiday season, we're recommending looking at the slightly uh, you know, earlier version. Um, we love the Ultra, um, and then we also really like the 8 because it's just smooth, it's effective, and like you said, it's going to be more discount 
discounted this holiday period. So if you're looking to save money and when you're in the market for Apple products, that's not a bad idea. Uh, you know, we are thinking right now in terms of our testing that we're going to recommend going for a slightly older version because you're still going to get a great product. Jacob Palmer of bestreviews.com. You can find all of the reviews and deals at the website, bestreviews.com. Thanks so much for joining me. And thanks for having me. You know, this year, Cyber Monday is going to be a last call for saving. After that, a lot of the companies are going to be taking the prices high again. So, you know, I understand if you wait. I wait things out all the time, but you can expect to pay higher if you don't shop by Cyber Monday this year. All right, there you have it. Get those deals while they're hot. More Rich on Tech coming your way right after this. Welcome back to Rich on Tech. Rich DeMiro here hanging out with you, talking technology. And if you can believe it, now it is time for the feedback segment. These are the emails, the comments, and the questions I have gotten from you. And if you'd like to submit yours, just go to richontech.tv and hit the contact link. Yes, you take advantage of this. Thank you for all of your emails throughout the week. While you're on the website, you can follow me on social media. I am at Rich on Tech on Instagram, Facebook, Threads, and uh, pretty much any social media platform. And if you like what you hear on the radio show, be sure to watch my TV segments. I cover a variety of tech topics. Just go to richontech.tv to watch those. You can also find them on YouTube. Okay, without further ado, let's get to some of the feedback. Michael says, I ordered the new iPhone 15 Pro Max and would like to control the camera zoom, now five times optical, and focus from an external controller. I plan on using the phone in a small rig case and would like precise control over the camera functions. Love the show. Well, I told Michael I was not aware of a controller for the iPhone that would do this, but uh, apparently he found one because he updated me with a new email and said, hey, I found a solution for the wireless lens control for an iPhone camera. It is called the Nucleus Wireless Lens Control. And he sent along a link from BH Photo and Video. It's expensive, $169, but it looks like it is a hand wheel controller that will control the iPhone. And he says the Blackmagic Camera app will work as well with the controller. So there you go. That is definitely a pro setup. I think most people are just going to pinch to zoom on their screen, but that is a uh, great way to go. I'm glad you found that, Michael, and we can share. Uh, let's see. Leanne via Instagram says, I really enjoy your show on KFI. Your format and demeanor while explaining tech is refreshing. Well, thank you, Leanne. KFI in Los Angeles, of course, one of our uh, popular stations. And, of course, where I'm based. Uh, let's see. Dave via Instagram says, Upon your review recommendation, I just purchased Super Mario Wonder for my nephew uh, and my daughter. They're playing it. They're having a blast. So there you go. All right. Yes, that is a great game. And it's even been on sale throughout some of these uh, Cyber Monday, Black Friday specials. So see if you can get it at a discount. Greg says, I listened to your podcast and heard you talk about the Mint application shutting down at the end of the year. You gave a list of alternatives, but I want to give you one more for Windows 10 slash 11. It's called Greg's Budget. It's available on the Microsoft Store for $30 with no subscription fees. I've been using it for years to stay on budget and plan for the future. Full disclosure, I did write this application, so I'm a little biased, but it is a great app. All right, well, there you go. Uh, Greg's Budget on the Microsoft Store. Yes, a lot of people looking for alternatives to Mint, and what I've seen is that almost all of them are paid this time around. So it's kind of odd to pay anywhere from $30 to $100 a year for budgeting, 
but that is, uh, I guess, the new reality here. Uh, let's see here. Via Instagram. Hey, Rich, my brother is reporting. I'm getting a lot of scam attempts on Venmo. Don't fall for it. Someone will send you $100 and claim it's an accident, and they will ask for you to send the money back. Do not fall for it. There are YouTube videos on it. It's usually from a stolen account. It's money that will end up being retrieved once the victim reports it, which leaves you without the money that you quote-unquote sent back. Just an FYI, thanks. Love your work. Yes, so many of these scams on all these payment systems, whether it's Zelle, whether it's Venmo, whether it's PayPal. If someone's offering to send you money and then says it's a mistake or they send you money and they say, can you send back and they send you more than they should and you got to send back the difference, no matter what, it's all a scam. Do not fall for it. It's too good to be true. You're trying to get free money. Some people are greedy. They're going to fall for it. Do not fall for it. Jason says... Thanks for the article about the Zumo. You can't get cloud storage through Spectrum unless you have a cable box. The joys of cable companies. One step forward, nine steps back. Maybe someday they will figure it out. Enjoy your radio show on KFI. So, Jason, I had to check with uh, Spectrum because I didn't think that was the case. Why would they make you have a cable box when the whole point of the Zumo is to replace your cable box? So I did confirm you can get cloud storage through the Zumo box. So I'm not sure where you're getting your information, but uh, check it out again because apparently you can get cloud storage, cloud DVR through Spectrum, uh, through the Zumo box. And that is X-U-M-O. So check it out again. It's uh, If you didn't catch the coverage on the Zumo box, it's kind of a mix of a streaming box like an Apple TV but a cable box as well. Of course, there is no cable box and everything is delivered through the internet. So if you're sticking with cable and you have Spectrum or Xfinity through Comcast, this is sort of a joint venture. It's their way of um, kind of putting out a box that's like a Fire TV or a Roku or an Apple TV, but it is the cable company's brand and uh, it's called Zumo, X-U-M-O. Neil says, hey, Rich, interesting story that you told someone falling for sending money to someone they don't know in order to clear up an account problem. How many stupidities are on that call? Let someone control your computer. The other common thing is I will send you extra money and we need to send some of it back and you will have to send some of it back. Of course, you will lose on that when the initial transaction is canceled. We know that support numbers on Google are often fake numbers and ads. Basically, this person is falling for everything you tell us about. Online selling, cash when the person arrives to pick up the goods. Facebook Marketplace is a jungle, Neil. (laughs) Yes, Neil, these are all the things I talk about. Not everyone is aware of everything. And yes, there are always going to be people that fall for this stuff. So that is just the way it is. Charles, that's why you listen to this show. So you understand this stuff and you don't fall for it. Oh, more comments about the Zumo box. Uh, Hey, Rich, the Zumo streaming box is not ready for prime time. I picked up two to replace my set-top boxes. Things went smoothly but took some time. I have Max and Showtime anytime as part of my Spectrum package. Activating Max was frustratingly slow. The Showtime Anytime app was nowhere to be found. So I called Zumo Tech Help as Spectrum. She was pleasant but knew very little about the box. After being put on hold several times, it turns out some Zumo boxes have Showtime Anytime. Some don't. Hmm, that's odd. Uh, But they don't know which ones have it and which ones don't. Also, you can't add apps to the Zumo box like you can other streaming boxes. Spectrum's solution was to keep exchanging Zumo boxes until I had one that had the Showtime Anytime on it. 
Spectrum's excuse was that these Zumo boxes are new and they're still learning. Seriously? Needless to say, I returned them via the UPS store. And then I was off to Walmart for a couple of Roku Expresses for $24 each. They may not have all the bells and whistles that the Zumo box has, but setup was easier and faster. Adding apps as possible and navigating it was at least as quick as it was on Zumo. The box has potential, but it should not have been sold until its obvious shortcomings are fixed and until Spectrum's Zumo tech help people are familiar with it. Well, it's odd that they would not have Showtime anytime. I know that Showtime has been mixed into Paramount Plus, so maybe you'd find it there. But I agree. Um, I think that these boxes are good. Again, if you want to keep cable and you like that idea of cable. Maybe we have time for one more. Walt says, interesting comments about the Rivian. They do look cool. The price involved is truly the highest negative that seems to be skipped slash missed. Who in the population is truly spending $50,000 plus on a vehicle, let alone 100 k Or is this truly a leasing situation? Walt. Finally, one more. Seraphim says, looking for several solutions. I take videos and pictures with a Samsung S23 Ultra. I need a better input tool, but... Need software to slow down the UAPs and morphing beings, apply motion tracking and zoom in and out. Seraphim, I have no idea what you're talking about. I had to look this up. Unidentified anomalous phenomena, morphing beings that can change their form or identity at will. Some examples include shapeshifters. Woo, this is way above my pay grade. I don't know what you're talking about. But yes, sometimes when you aim a camera on a smartphone at a bright light, you do sometimes see a floating orb in the picture. That is something that is common based on the small lenses. Maybe you're seeing more than the rest of us. In that case, uh, be careful out there. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of the show. You can find links to everything I mentioned on my website. Just go to richontech.tv for the show notes. Happy shopping and uh, research those deals before you jump on them. Thanks so much for listening. There are so many ways you can spend your time. I do appreciate you spending it right here with me. Thanks to everyone who makes this show possible. My name is Rich Demiro. I will talk to you real soon.